Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Tom Gosney of Gosney, rated number one in outdoor pizza ovens. Tom built his first pizza oven by hand. It was a tool for him to reconnect and re-engage with his loved ones after completing rehab. This then turned into the evolution of commercializing the oven into Gosney as we know it today. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Tom Gosney of Gosney Outdoor Pizza Ovens. Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, mate, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up, and what would you say your childhood was like? Yes, yeah, so I had a um, I had a really good childhood, man. It was I grew up on the south coast of England. We uh, we lived in a small, sort of rural seaside town. Um, Mum and dad were sort of local business owners. They owned a pharmacy in the local town, so it was it was a real you know I, I sort of lived in a lived in a sort of suburban cul-de-sac. Uh, we call it a cul-de-sac in England, and um, loads of young kids on the street. So we we had fun, man. It was it was good. Mm. Would you say you had an entrepreneurial mindset? Uh, say like selling lemonade stands or products, anything like that. <laughs> Do you know what? When I, I used to sell chocolate bars when I was in school, and I, so I suppose there was there was a little bit of a hustler in me from from the get go. Um, I suppose there was you know was entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, um, I'm sure that was ingrained in me from a young age. Having mum and dad as like business owners and seeing mm. how they were making money and earning a living, um, I think it was something that was definitely present in my childhood. Yeah, definitely. Um, so progressing on, did you end up studying at a university then, uh, with your time in the UK? Do you know what, Cameron, man, my, my, my time, um, growing up wasn't, um, wasn't a straight line. It was, you know, yeah. I had a relatively good childhood, but I really struggled in school. I, um, suffer from dyslexia and back when I was in school, albeit however long ago that was 30 odd years ago now, it wasn't as commonly catered for as it is today. And yeah. so I found that I, you know, I found school really frustrating, like struggled, didn't understand why I wasn't progressing like other kids, you know, didn't learn from a textbook, right? Super practical learner, really loved being hands-on, very visual, all of those things. So found it really frustrating to try and learn in school. And sort of knock-on impact of that was that, that I just I just didn't do overly well in education. And I think probably because some of because of the frustrations surrounding that started acting out as a young kid and getting naughty and so I I I became a, like quite a wild child when I hit my teenage years got got immersed in in sort of drugs and alcohol certainly didn't go down an educational route I went to colleges but got kicked out went to a university got kicked out mm. you know it wasn't it wasn't a conventional route for me man yeah definitely so I actually saw that on the website a little bit of uh, your history and your story I'd like to dive into that if you're fine, talking about uh, your experience in rehab and how that actually pushed your creativity um, and interest in starting your own pizza oven. Yeah, 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 sure. So like I said, you know, I was I was sort of pretty wild in my teenage years. I think a lot of it was like really not, truly looking back now as like a, a mature adult, looking back and not really understanding what my passions were, where I thrived, what I was good at. You know, I, I really didn't harness, um, really didn't harness my passions in school because, you know, I just struggled and it was, it didn't, it didn't cater really to someone that learns in the way that I did. So I got heavily involved in drugs and drink, you know, it was, 
it was bizarre. We we grew up in the forest, um, and you know we weren't in inner cities, and and almost man, it exacerbated the problem. Like drugs and alcohol were like what everyone seemed to be doing. I think it was just accelerated with my group of friends. We were we were there was a very small group of us, and we were all quite rebellious and mm. and pushed it to the limits. And so that 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 sort of sent me on. Um, on a on a challenging spiral and at the age of 21 i um i landed in rehabilitation i was i i guess i got to the point where i was i was really done i'd like tried to stop a number of times i mm. sort of embraced it and partied quite hard in my teenage years when i got into my sort of late teens early 20s it was like hang on a sec this is actually like a bigger issue than i than i'd mm. actually anticipated right i'd try to slow down, try not to drink certain times and just couldn't stop. And so it became progressively worse as I got into my twenties. And then, and then after a series of interesting events, I just decided that I wanted to, I wanted to turn my life around and stop right at the age of 21. And so bless my mum and dad, they were, they were sort of really ready for me to surrender and say like, now is the time for me to make changes. They, they've been sort of trying to encourage me to, to change um, the way I was leading my life for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And so mum and dad supported me going to a rehabilitation center in South Africa, obviously based in the UK. I wanted to break out of the UK and go somewhere further afield. So I was completely disconnected from the existing life that I built. There was no easy route out. It was like, go over there and get fixed um, yeah. or go over there and get fixed. The only option really, right? And so I did just shy of a year in rehabilitation center, a place called South Coast Recovery Center um, in Durban in, in SA. And it was life-changing, very difficult, yeah. very difficult, very amazing, life-changing. I suppose it was, it sort of, it helped me to surrender, helped me to see the nature of my addiction, all of those things, and then came out and, and had a sort of new zest for life, albeit that was when it became really challenging for me, right? You know, coming out as a 21-year-old into the real world, all my friends are still taking drugs and drinking and doing all of that stuff. That was when the, the real program started, right? And, mm. um, and it was challenging. So I came out, and that was probably the most vulnerable part of my journey was coming out of treatment at the age of 21, and then realizing I didn't have like the confines of a rehabilitation clinic around me. I didn't have counselors on call, you know, yeah. to, to chat through how I was feeling and all of those things. So, so it was challenging, man. But I, I suppose that was, that was like a really, really interesting part of like my journey. And I sort of came out and didn't really know how to socialize as a sober person, right. With my existing network. And so threw myself into cooking and entertaining and, almost feel like I was recovery sort of forced me to to grow up you know seven or eight years ahead of my time started hosting dinner parties rather than going out partying and stuff like that and you know yeah. not not that I was remotely ashamed of that I was so um so unbelievably proud of my recovery and Definitely. making the changes that I was making in my life so there was there was no compromise that was you know, that, that was out of the question for me. I was like, by the time I'd come out of treatment, I was so determined never to drink again, never to touch drugs again. I'd sort of had a taste of what a future life could be like for myself without all of that bullshit clouding, you know, clouding life and inevitably leading me to really dark places, right? 
So yeah. I was I was I was hell bent on staying clean, and I'm still clean today from that from that first stint in rehab. I marked a decade and a half this year, so 15 years of clean time That's this amazing. year, which is yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, um, but ca- came out and threw myself into cooking, man, and that's that's where everything began for me. I, you know, I I found the passion, um, for for the community and the sense of connection with friends and family, and and that was really special. And then built, you know, we we made pizzas one evening at a conventional oven. They were crispy, and a, no, they weren't crispy. They were soggy and a little bit rubbish, and. I sort of said to my girlfriend at the time who was there, who's now my wife, Laura, I'm going to build a pizza oven in the garden. And she was like, babe, we're broke. We don't have any money. Like, what, what are you going on about? We don't need a pizza <laughs> oven in the garden. And nevertheless, I started building it, convinced her that I could do it really affordably. And that's really where, where the business was born. I didn't know it was a business in that moment, but that was, that was where the business was born. Wow. That, that's amazing. I, I'm curious to go into like your mindset during this time and with no prior experience and what was the research process and the prototyping process like when building that first pizza oven? What, what did that look like? Yeah. So like the first ever oven, when it was for me personally, I'd literally made pizzas one evening. I said to my wife, I'm going to buy a pizza oven for the garden. I looked online and there was like maybe one, one company in the UK selling them and they were importing them from Italy and they cost thousands of pounds. There are these prefabricated domes and you built a base. And I was just like, there's, you know, I, I didn't have any money at the time. I was, I was broke trying to find my way. Right. And so yeah. I spent, I spent literally an hour researching how to build a hand-built brick oven online and ordered a load of materials that night. Next day started digging the foundations. That was before I, I, I really dove in as a business, built that oven in the garden. It completely changed the way that I entertained and socialized and, my friends that used to come over would stop bringing beers and start bringing toppings. It sort of organically built out this lifestyle of recovery around me at such a vulnerable time in my life, which was incredible. It was like, it's almost like by intervention, like divine intervention that this oven had given me the gift of like sobriety without me having to build boundaries that made me feel socially isolated from my friends. Right. Like I didn't want to stop them bringing beers, but they just organically did that. And so, so it was amazing. It was a gift to me. And then, and then after probably about a few months of using them, my friends were asking me if I could build them for them. I sort of improved the design a little bit, but then the sort of penny dropped. I was building one for my brother-in-law and I was just, you know, we were, we were chatting when we were tiling an oven in this garden. And I was just like, he said, bud, you know, this is, this is such an amazing journey you're on. You've got to turn this into a business. And that was when the sort of penny dropped. And it's like, how can I make this? How can I make this more affordable for consumers at home? How can I make it easier? You know, we were building these elaborate hand-built brick ovens um, that, that took a ton of time to, to construct. They're expensive to make, all of that stuff. And so then I set upon a journey, heavily researching pizza ovens, how they worked, you know, the engineering behind them, the materials they were made of. And I probably spent about three or four months just extensively studying every single pizza oven brand that was on the open market, right? And like yeah. truly learning around how how the material that retained heat re-radiated the heat, like the, the ratios between the, the internal volt height to the door height and how it made the oven work with oxygen flow and learn all of that stuff, right? And then went on a journey to design my first ever product that I was going to sell to consumers. And, and 
it was really it was really just a, a ultimate passion project i'd almost felt like i really didn't have a purpose or drive i didn't know how i was going to earn a living i was i was helping a friend install solar panels at the time and i was desperately ambitious didn't realize how ambitious i was back then but desperately ambitious and really determined to do something for myself right not even not you know a little bit of me you know didn't really want to necessarily have a boss i wanted to be in control of my own destiny but also just felt like i needed a passion to dive out of bed in the morning for right and that's not that was never going to be being a laborer for someone else or you know like that sort of thing i hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around tom's entrepreneurial journey i'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor parachute offering modern bedding and bath essentials for a more comfortable home working with top experts and artisans parachute seeks out to only the finest materials possible while being climate neutral certified works with its partners as well as their consumers to eliminate carbon emissions. As I wind down from the workday, it's so important to have both my bedding and towels provide that soft, not rough feel. I made the decision to swap out my old towels for new with Parachute and this subtle, absorbent dry is something that I've never felt with any old towels. So make sure to check out Parachute. It's easy to find quality home essentials in store or online at ParachuteHome.com. That's ParachuteHome.com and enjoy the rest of the episode. So in these early days, you decided to commercialize and uh, begin selling. What did that look like? Were you selling it to uh, just local friends? I also saw local businesses. Was this really the commercial side of the stance that you went into? Yeah. So, so I the first products that we launched in the in the very early stages was um, was a, a one pizza capacity home oven. And just for the listeners to sort of try and visualize that, it was it was almost like a little concrete igloo. I made a fiberglass mold. I researched the um, material composition of the re- refractory concrete, which is basically like a high heat concrete. It's like a, a clay-based um, heat-proof concrete that retains heat. And then I found a uh, I found a manufacturing facility in the north of England in Sheffield that would essentially fill my mold for me, put the oven. There was a, there was a sort of three parts to the casting. There was a concrete igloo dome, and there was two parts to the base. And so we would then have them on a pallet, and I would we would ship them directly to the customer and we were selling to consumers. So I found a manufacturer. I've got a five grand loan from my mum. 2000 pounds went on a mold, a fiberglass mold. Another 2000 pounds went on a website that one of my best friends built me Um, back in the very early days. I sort of learned how to do product design. We learned how to market. Um, My wife probably about four or five months after starting the journey, who was my girlfriend back then quit her job in London, moved, an hour and a half down to where we lived outside of London to work with us. And then we just started building it together. Self-taught marketing, brand, customer service, logistics, all of that stuff, right? It was real yeah. wet behind the ears, no experience, just really eager to make it work. And that was that was the journey that we started on. Definitely. I'd like to go back to like those early days at launch, uh, logistically shipping wise. So a customer, I'm sure the customer base was all UK. Uh, say they yeah. order a pizza oven. What does that look like? The shipping process. Did you guys personally hand deliver those? Yeah. So, so in the very, very early days, we did, and then we struck a deal with the manufacturer that they would ship the pallet. So we would charge the customer a delivery charge of forty nine pounds. I still remember it now. And and the uh, the manufacturer in Sheffield would ship a pallet with the oven on it. We had all of the ancillary products. So. 
the flues and caps, the doors. I got local fabricators to make all of those locally for us. So I had all of the all of the ancillary products for the uh, for the ovens stored in our garage. I would go and bubble wrap them. We would put them in a box. We would ship them out the door. We were using a local. I remember it was like an epiphany when I realized how that we could use an online parcel booking program instead, you know, instead of calling FedEx and or whatever it was back then. And so we, we, you know, we hand packaged everything. We built all of our own manuals. Those went out in a separate box for the consumer. Um, and that's how we did it in the beginning. Yeah. Wow. So what did that marketing strategy look like to uh, convince consumers <laughs> that this product was something truly uh, convenient for them? Yeah, so it was interesting. We, um, I don't, I don't know if this is this is naughty to admit or not, but like I don't don't care now. It's such a long time ago, but we we sort of we we learned from a friend how to undertake SEO in the very early stages, right? And and like how to how to build search rankings on Google and stuff like that. So we probably built a ton of sort of fake profiles pretending to be consumers that had installed one and we were blogging about our own ovens as customers and <laughs> you know we we didn't really know how to market right we were we were going out in landscaping forums and you know saying i just bought an oven from the stone bay coven company it's an amazing piece of kit they great customer service blah 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 blah, blah all yeah. this stuff and not only were we doing that to try and generate awareness but we were also giving free ovens out to you know, influential people back in the day. So this is like 2012. There's some there's some sort of TV personalities in the UK. We gave a couple out to them. You know, so, social media, Instagram wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't such an active part of the strategy like it is today, right? But it Definitely. was, we were doing um, like agricultural shows to try and get, gain sales, so localized shows, but then also going out to, to influential people and giving products out and, you know, ended, that ended up escalating from one chef to a few chefs. And then all of a sudden we had this this roster of UK-based celebrities on our website and we had their testimonials and so on and so wow. forth. So then it was just trying to get people to the website, right? And, um, you know, we had sort of two, two or three years where we were really, really grinding to get the brand built. And then sort of year three, three or four, it, we just we just jumped. We went from selling sort of twenty ovens a month the year before to one hundred and fifty ovens a month or something like that. And these wow. it was so significant for us because they were they were about a thousand pounds each, something like that. So we it was all of a sudden it became much bigger numbers for us. It was it was crazy. You know we wow. we sort of worked really hard for two to three years and got 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 a little bit more momentum and then and then it just sort of started to spiral for us. It's amazing. So this is uh, the transition from Stonebake Oven Company, and then you launch Gosney. I'm curious, what was that vision and transitioning to Gosney and really commercializing also not just UK, but also going into international markets? What was that vision for you? Yeah, so so whilst we were building Stonebake, we we I had the idea for Rockbox, which was which was the ultimate convenience, getting wood-fired cooking to more consumers all over the world, right? Stonebake Oven Company ovens were heavy, they were, whilst they were like the most convenient wood-fired oven that you could buy on the market, you didn't have to hand build it, relatively small and light, they were still, um, they were still like 150 pounds for the dome to lift, right? So it was two strong guys um, or two strong women to lift it into position, right? And, yeah. um, and, and so, you know, and, and there was also challenges of like, 
they were so expensive to ship because of their weight, you know, like, like 250 pounds all in, shipping that into Europe just became sort of counterintuitive economically. It was like, you know, as soon as you ship them and you pay the delivery charge, it's eating all your profit or you have to pass that on to the customer. And so it just didn't really work. Mm. And so I saw an opportunity to develop a product that we could ship anywhere in Europe um, for like 10 pounds. And, and that was where the concept of Rockbox was born. And so that was probably 2012 um, to 2013. And then we spent three years developing it. The key challenges with Rockbox was trying to make a lightweight product work like a stone oven, right? They work yeah. on thermal mass. The weight of the stone absorbs the heat, re-radiates it. And that was, that's essentially what makes them stay so hot. So there was an engineering challenge for us to overcome, which we did. And in 2016, we launched Rockbox. And that was a sort of game-changing product for us. We were like the original innovators and the first people to launch a portable stone oven into a global market. They just didn't exist. Yeah. Um, at, at that time. And so now if you look online, you know, there's there's hundreds of different portable stone ovens, you know. So it was really interesting. We 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 truly were um were like the pioneers of building that category, right? Which yeah. which is you know, which is great and I'm something I'm really proud of. And um and you know, whilst we were doing that, we also had a commercial oven business. So we launched Gosley Professional Ovens in the UK. I saw an opportunity to develop a line of ovens that were easier for, for restaurant owners to install. All of the ones out of Italy were pre-built. You had to take your shop fronts down to put them in. I designed and patented a modular installation system that could allow us to take a giant sort of two-ton commercial oven through a doorway and assemble it in a day in a wow. restaurant without having to take the shop front down. So we launched that in 2014. And we just overnight became UK market leaders for professional wood-fired ovens. And so what we'd actually done, Cameron, was we sort of accumulated three different brands over the journey yeah. of startup, right? Which was Stonebake Oven Company, Gosney Professional Ovens, and Rockbox. And then we got into sort of 2016, 2017, and I had a future view on what I wanted our product lines to be and how I wanted them to look. And there was just a moment where we felt, you know, we've got a significant opportunity to scale a line of products globally. Let's simplify what we're doing. Let's build one brand with continuity and let's go after it. Right. And so that's really where we migrated everything into Gosney and consolidated it into one brand, you know, which is Gosney Ovens. Amazing. So you mentioned uh, Gosney as one of the pioneers and I'm curious uh, especially at the at-home consumer, what would you say differentiates Gosney from some of the other brands that you noticed that jumped on, say, later? Yeah, sure. So there are, you know, there are, there are, there are lots of brands doing it. You know, there's, there's, there's one brand, Uni, which is our competitor that, you know, has done a really, really good job. They've, 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 really, they've really done well in the portable space. And I think they launched similar time that we did. You know, we went on a, a similar journey. I would say the difference is right between us and any other any other portable oven um, out there is we sort of really built our all of our products through our professional oven uh, professional oven heritage right and so whilst we you know we have thick insulation in our ovens like the the sort of the the um, the the mandate. Really really when we designed Rockbox and any other product was to make it truly perform like a big stone oven, right? And so yeah. the differentiating factor from us to any is like, 
you know, our, our ovens will get hot and stay hot. They're insulated really well below the stone floor. The, you know, the stone is thicker than any other portable oven out there. You know, like we, we, we sort of over-engineer our products, just work seamlessly for consumers. So they're brilliantly built. They're really well engineered. Um, and there's sort of three things that we focus on, Cameron, which is aesthetics are super important to us. I'm obsessed by design. The quality of the product is absolutely paramount and the way it's engineered to perform for the consumer to make it effortless and use for the consumer are really important. Yeah. You know, there are other brands out there doing it well. You know, our products stand head and shoulders above from like engineering quality perspective and in my opinion aesthetics you know i would say that because i designed them but um you know that's that's the differentiator amazing i'm curious uh with product development over the years what would you say is that main demographic if you can depict that from the at-home consumer it's really interesting right so it's a it's a relatively new category you know Mm -hmm. you, you could say you could say it's sort of like ab1 um families with good disposable income you know two kids live in suburban areas but truly like that's that's the sort of like boring technical answer <laughs> but i would say like i would say we're transitioning like the 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 um the products that we're producing are building new categories right we're continually um evolving categories that don't exist so I mean, we've got we've got customers that are people that are sacking in their jobs, buying a rock box or a dome, and building a, a street food business out of our products. Right, like that's that's insane. So those are some of our customers, and you know, wood fired ovens and and pizza ovens. What we're doing, they're transitioning from niche to mainstream at the moment, right? And so customer base is growing. There's more awareness for the sector. Um, you know, I think. We really interesting is in a you know a sort of typical barbecue brand is generally skewed to a male audience. You know we we're quite equally skewed between female and male, which is great. And I think that's a lot of that is to do with the way that our products look and yes. and you know that you know they're they're thoughtfully designed um, to, to appeal to 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 both male and female. Whereas a barbecue. Um, without without being sexist, a barbecue can be quite ugly. It's yeah. not overly pretty to put in the garden. There's nothing to really get excited about visually. Whereas we really wanted to change that, right? We wanted to we wanted to change the the overarching experience. That yeah, it's like really fun to cook outdoors. It's predominantly being a male orientated thing for years, right? It's like no one really gives a shit about dad stood in the corner with smoke <laughs> in his eyes, burning sausages. Like no one yeah. cares to be part of that and help and we wanted to innovate products that people actually wanted to participate in the cooking. And so making them look really good and making them fun to use, we found has pulled families together, which is a really interesting part of what we're doing. Definitely. Amazing. Well, I'd like to conclude each episode with this. Uh, If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, uh, maybe something you've learned along your journey or regret, uh, what would that be? Do you know what? That's a really, um, it's a really, it's a really good question. I think, um, I think the, the the biggest thing for me, right, that has like driven me um, is is having personal conviction that anything's possible. And I think that you know, like, so many people, especially in the UK, right, Cameron, like we're we've got a lot of cynical people here that don't believe in that sort of like what you guys would call the American dream, right? That entrepreneurial yeah. dream of anything's possible. It's quite a cynical mindset in the UK. 
one thing that I've had in bucket loads that I've never, ever dropped, because business is tough, right? You go through yeah. massive wins and you get really, really, it can be really disheartening when you face challenges constantly. Because business, for me, seems like a continual continual evolution of like solving problems, whether it be yeah. internal problems or problems to the consumer, but you're like problem solving constantly. So it can be quite a, a challenging environment, right? And so I, you know, there are lots of people that told me like, why do you want to build a pizza oven business? It's ridiculous. Who cares about pizza ovens? Blah, 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 blah. And I've just had like unnerving determination to build what I've built. I've never let anybody hold me back. Um, you know, I think in some instances, really good to get mentors around you, but also truly following your instincts. If you're immersed in your brand, your market, your consumers, your instinct is so powerful, man. And like, I've there's been a few instances in the past where I, I probably haven't followed my instincts. Well, no, I definitely haven't followed my instincts due to whatever factors internally at work. Mm. And that's, you know, that's that's held us back. And so I would say, you know, to, to, if I was talking to myself 10 years ago, don't let anybody hold you back. Anything's possible. You can do whatever you set out to do and, and don't underestimate the power of your own instinct. Mm, definitely. Well, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Gosney at us.gosney.com. And I promise you will get hungry if you check out the website as well. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, Leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.